Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermon. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. What I want to do this morning is I want us to, I want us to jump right in, just for the sake of time, jump right into the fourth part of our current series that's entitled Decisions. Uh, in this series, what we've been doing is we've been unpacking seven biblical principles that when applied, will help us become successful in every area of our lives. And by every area of our lives, I do mean physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, financially, and uh, most importantly, spiritually, that I believe that if we do what the Word of God says, then we'll see it change uh, our lives in every one of those areas. Now, the reason we chose the title Decisions is simply this, is because even though these Seven principles are proven. They've been proven for generations. The truth is, is you and I still have the choice to decide if we want to apply them or not. Amen? So, so if you're new with today, I want to kind of bring you up to speed so you're just kind of tracking with us. Over the past three weeks, we have introduced and unpacked three decisions, and so far those are this. Number one is we said that I will take responsibility. And what that means is this, rather than us blaming other people or blaming past events for where we're currently at in life, uh, we actually choose to, to recognize that, you know what, um, while I may not be able to change my past, I sure can change how I respond to it. And so by kind of making this decision, we're reclaiming our ability to make future decisions for our lives rather than being stuck or trapped or under the control of our past. Now, the second decision we talked about is this, is that I will seek wisdom. Now, when we, when we talk about this decision, we are admitting to ourselves that our best thinking has got us where we're at today, right? And so if we want to continue to grow as husbands, as wives, as parents, as leaders, or as followers of Christ and so on, then one thing is certain, you and I are going to need more wisdom than what we already have. And so by making this decision, we're saying we're going to surround ourselves with wise people, and we're going to start seeking the heart of God for wisdom for our lives. Now, the third decision we talked about is this, is that I will be a person of action. And the reason we say this is because, uh, like, at the end of the day, what's the, what's the purpose of taking responsibility of your life, and what's the purpose of seeking the wisdom of God if you're not going to do anything with it? And so when you decide that you're going to be a person of action, you recognize that God is a God of action. If I'm going to follow him, then my lifestyle is going to be one of action too. And so when I'm faced with the choice, rather than doing nothing, I'm going to do something. I'm going to act, right? So with that said, I want to simply acknowledge just for a moment that I recognize that every person in this room has made each of those decisions at one point in your life. Like, like I'm certain that a, a situation arose and you took responsibility, that something happened and you sought wisdom, that a situation arose and you took action. And, uh, and so just as I'm certain that we've all done that at one point in our life, I, I'm sure that every Christian around the world has too. Okay, but if that's true, and it is, I, I want to ask a real sobering question for us to consider today, just kind of get the ball rolling. And that is this, is that if we've all made these decisions, then why do so many of us still feel like we're circling the same old mountain again and again and again. Have you ever felt like that? Like, what, why does it seem like so many of us are, are you know, currently plagued by 
you know, little to no forward movement. Like, like, why is it like, man, I just can't get this thing in gear. I can't get to go on. You know, um, I think I think a lot of people when they when they're wrestling with that, they think, well, maybe, you know, that they've been somehow given a, you know, a, how can I say it, a, a bad hand in life. They've been dealt a worse deal than others. Whatever. A lot of people think that that it's because they've endured more persecution, more spiritual attacks. Some people think, well, it's because they're more insecure, they're more broken, they're more of an emotional mess than everybody else. You know, I've talked with people, they, they're like, man, I must wrestle with all these fleshly desires more than the next guy. Some people think, well, is it because I'm just not smart enough? I don't have enough ability, you know, natural ability. Some people think, well, maybe God's not for me as much as he is for somebody else that they think is just awesome. And, and some people even think that, man, it's because when I got saved, when I gave my life to Jesus, I received less transforming power than seems like all these other people got. And I want you to know today that whatever your reasoning is of why you're not moving forward the way you should, I want you to know that, the, that all those possibilities, whatever it may be, the answer is no. It's not because of any of those things. Listen, if we're, if we're not moving forward as fast as we think we should, I, I've basically come to the conclusion is simply this, is that it's not any of those things, but the determining factor of why some of us grow into mature, healthy believers and some don't, it simply boils down to one reason. It's because some of us have a decided heart and some of us don't. Now, I want you to know that like wherever we stand today, like that's nothing new, right? The Bible's full of people that, that have decided hearts and it's full of people who have undecided hearts. And so what I want to do is I want to start off with a verse with Jesus interacting with both of those groups of people and, uh, and you'll just kind of see how it all played out. Here we go. Let's start off Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57. It says, as they, he's talking about Jesus and his disciples, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Like, can you picture it with me? Right? Somebody just screams off in the side, you know, I'll follow you. And, and so I think, like, if you think someone's like that passionate or saying those words, man, that fellow's got to be committed. But watch what Jesus says. He says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You know, for years I thought, that is such an awkward response, Jesus, right? Until you realize that, that I think Jesus probably looked at this guy, looked in his eyes, knew his heart, and he knew the fact that this fellow loved his, his uh, you know, basically the security of a roof over his head more than he loved his commitment to follow. And then it says in 59, Jesus can basically continue to walk, and he looks at the phone and says, follow me. And the guy says this, Lord, so obviously there's commitment. He's recognizing who he is. Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. You know, years I thought, man, you're talking about insensitive. Holy smokes, right? But the truth is, is, is there anybody that has a greater capacity than Jesus when it comes to compassion and mercy. No. So, so what was he looking at? I think he looked in this guy's eyes and he saw that this guy loved his inheritance more than he loved his commitment to follow. Now, what I mean by that is if you study Jewish history, then you know that basically in that culture, it was custom that whenever the father of a family died, that the oldest son would receive a double portion of the inheritance. But here's the key part. If he wasn't there when the father died, then he was bypassed and it was handed to the next son in line. And so I believe what this guy was saying was this, is Jesus, yes, I'll follow you after 
my father dies and I inherit all the possessions and all the wealth and all the stuff that I'm in line to get because I don't want my little brother to get it. So, so listen, I, I, yes, I'll do it, but after these things, I'll meet up with you wherever you go. I'll find you, and I'll join your preaching team, right? But I think, once again, that Jesus looked and said, you know what? That guy, once again, he's more interested in all that stuff, all the possessions, all the wealth, more than he is me. And then it says in verse 61, it says, yet another said, once again, I'll follow you, right? But let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Again, I have to say, it looks like commitment at first. Like you go, Jesus, the guy just wanted to go say bye to his parents and bye to his brothers and sisters. Like, why are you saying that? But, but I think Jesus, once again, looked in his eyes, knew his heart, and he knew that this guy loved his relationships and all the things you get from that more than his commitment to follow. So I think we can all agree that, that the one thing that those three guys had in common was this, is they were all torn between two options, right? And because they were torn, they didn't put Jesus first. But, but if we keep reading, something really neat happens, because even though the, the chapter ends there, the story doesn't. Because if you, if you keep fast-forwarding and you go into chapter 10, there's two words that start off in verse 1 that I think are very important to our lives. And it simply says this, It says, after this, after what? (laughs) After basically those who had an undecided heart and those who had a decided heart were divided and Jesus knew who was who, right? And it says this, that after that, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Once again, who was the ones that he sent? It was those who had a decided heart. This is important. And then it says, and he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, those with a decided heart, they're few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the harvest to send out laborers into harvest. What's he saying? Pray that we'll find more people with a decided heart. Right? So listen, what, what we just witnessed through those handful of verses, the only way I know how to word it is this, is we saw a weeding out process. And it wasn't Jesus going, you, yeah, you, no, they chose for themselves, right? Like, we got to get that. They chose for themselves. They weeded out themselves, or they included themselves by their own actions. And I just think this, those that who had a decided heart, they moved forward with Jesus in a more purposeful way, while those who lacked a decided heart, they just simply either remained or they dispersed. Who with me say, oh, yeah. Now, to dig into this a bit more, the word decide means this. It means to make up one's mind, to reach a decision, and to end a contest by giving one side victory. Is it going to be option A, or is it going to be Jesus? Right? And it also implies this. It means the bringing to an end of wavering between different opinions by making up one's mind as to which course to take, which brings about a resolve to carry through. So in short, what those three guys didn't have is they lacked the resolve to carry through because of their desire for personal comfort, their desire for the promise of more possessions and more wealth, their desire for the acceptance and the belonging that comes through relationships. And what I'm trying to say is this, is basically that those guys, 
allow those things to have a greater victory for going off that definition, a greater victory in their life than Jesus. All right. So with that in mind, I want to I want to quickly share. I, I've probably shared this at some time in the past and some format, but but this is really how this came through. I want I want to share a dream with you that that God gave me about nine years ago that changed my life. And to kind of give you the context of where it happened, I was basically in that in between state of being kind of half awake, half asleep. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? And uh, and so I was kind of in that spot where I, I woke up, but I dozed back off. And when I dozed back off, I, God gave me a dream in that moment. And uh, what I saw was is basically like a, a, from the, the shoulder, I saw one of my friends, like a headshot, right? And, and it was all black behind him. And, and the dream was really quick, just like flash. He turned towards me and he said in a really sobering uh, tone of voice, he said, he said, Quentin, the Lord would say, if you put your hand to the plow and don't look back, he'll put his favor on you. And I instantly woke up. And when I woke up, the verse that we just read, that no one who puts his hand to the plow, right, and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God, that verse was ringing on the inside of me. Now, for you that have had God dreams or whatever, you know the difference between that and we ate pizza last night, right? It's kind of like that. You just kind of move on. But, but as I continued to kind of get ready to go to work for that day, man, I couldn't shake it, right? Like it wouldn't leave me alone. I kept seeing it again and again and again, and that verse kept coming up, kept coming up, kept coming up. So when I went to the office, the first thing I did was, okay, I, basically I tried to find and locate the passage. I read it in its entirety. And as I dug in a little deeper, I discovered that the words where it says, it says uh, basically puts hand through the plow and looks back. I, I discovered that the word looks back, Basically, the Greek language means this. It means a, a man that's engaged in labor. He's engaged in, in work or activity. Instead of keeping his eyes on what he's doing, he looks behind him and he gets distracted by some object that causes him to lose his focus. So at that point, I knew what Jesus was telling me. He was saying this, that if I, if I wanted basically his anointing on my life, then it would demand my undivided attention. That a wavering, wondering, divided, unfocused, undecided heart wouldn't cut it. That if I wanted to fulfill his purpose for my life, then I would need to make a deliberate and intentional, consistent decision to not allow things like security, comfort, money, possessions, or relationships to come in between me and him. In short, what he was saying was, son, I need you to have a decided heart. Now, I want you to know today that having a decided heart like we're describing, uh, man, that's easier said than done, right? And, and, I, and I want to confess to you today that even though I had that awesome moment nine years ago, uh, I haven't always succeeded at staying in the place of having a decided heart. There's been times where my heart's wondered. There's been times where things have got my attention, that I've lost my focus, uh, but what's so, what's so neat is, is in those moments, the Holy Spirit's been really, really faithful to come alongside of me and just kind of gently nudge me, remember the dream. I can't tell you how many times I've heard those words, remember the dream, right? And, and so, you know, of course, as we progress, you start seeing the Bible through a little bit different lens, and there's some other verses that have kind of like connected to that moment for me. And I just want to read three of those verses to you really quick. 
just to kind of show you, just kind of drill down this a little bit more. The first one is this, Joshua 24. It says, but if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the God of the Amorites in whose land you now live? Let me bring that to you today. Basically, do you want to serve all that dysfunction that you see in your family tree? Do you want to serve the chaos that you see in this world, or do you want to serve God? And then he makes this really bold statement that, that is, man, key to a decided heart. He said, but as for me and my family, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. If you go to 1 Kings chapter 18, you see this awesome moment. It says, Elijah approached all the people and he said, how long will you hesitate? How long will you waver? How long will you falter? How long will you just kind of go back and forth between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if it's Baal, follow him. Make up your mind. Have a decided heart. The last one is this. Hebrews 12 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we also have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us rid ourselves of every obstacle and the sin which so easily tangles us. Let us get rid of all those opinions, all those options, right? And it says, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And it says these key words in verse 2, looking only at Jesus, having eyes only for Jesus, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the originator and the perfecter of the faith. Once again, it's talking about a decided heart. All right, so if you're taking notes, clearly by now I think you understand our fourth decision, what it is. But listen, God wants us to be people who take responsibility. He wants us to be people who seek wisdom from Him. And He wants us to be people of action, right? But the last thing we have to get in our heart is, is that He wants us to have a decided heart. Here's why. Andy Andrews made this simple but powerful statement. He said that more people fail at what they attempt because of an undecided heart than for any other reason. Like I could stand up here and give you testimony after testimony after testimony of people that we have done life with that have said God said and we try to help them along and somewhere along the line they fall off the wagon because a different option comes. Okay? So, listen, if we can, let's swing all the way back to the top for a moment. Remember what I said, that, that we've all made the decision to take responsibility at some point. And we've all said, you know what, I'll seek wisdom for this point. We've all said, okay, I'll be a person of action. But the key word here is, is we've all done that occasionally. We've done it situationally, right? So, but if we're going to get to where God wants us, and I'm talking to myself too, then we got to learn how to do them consistently. Amen? It's got to become so ingrained in us that it's our natural response, it's part of our lifestyle, that is how we live. You see, I believe that when we decide to consistently take responsibility, consistently surround ourselves with wise people, consistently seek the wisdom of God, consistently take faithful action, that all that has the ability to change everything. And the reason is, is because if we just keep at it, it, all that will begin to accumulate. All that will begin to gain momentum and we'll begin to realize, man, that guess what? That all that's working in our favor and that the Word of God begins to work in our life. Like we do it once and then we go, God, why are you not moving? Don't act like you've never done it before. We've all done it. I prayed last Easter, right? All right, to kind of give you an illustration, and, and I brought these pictures 
up, I think, our, I think it was our first message of this, uh, of this sermon series. Let me show you pictures once again to kind of show you the difference of what I'm talking about. That guy, bless his heart, and, 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 and my dude right there. That's, that's, that's who I run with. All right, so, okay, so like once again, like that is the picture of inconsistency. Go back to my man. That is the picture of consistency. Amen. Don't you hate him, fellas? Yes. All right, so watch this. So I know that might sound super silly, but watch this. Is that, you know, there's a, there's a guy that said, you know what, this is going to be consistent. I'm going to do it all the time. Now, does that only work in our physical health body? No, it doesn't. Man, the same principles go to our emotional health, our mental health, our financial health, our relational health, and our spiritual health. It's the same things. The more we do things, the more we choose to apply God's principles in all these areas of our lives we're talking about. Guess what? They work. Like, how many times have I stood up here and said, if we do it God's way, we get God's results, but if we do it our way, we get our results? Yes, it's a true statement. All right, so here's what I want to do. I think y'all, I think we're all tracking well together. Before we, uh, before we land this, I want to give you a handful of just thoughts of things that I think that we need to just kind of maybe deposit in our hearts if we're going to become people of uh, basically that, that are, have decided hearts. There's things that we need. And some of these may be what you would expect. Some of them may not be. Um, some of them may be more challenging than others. But, but if you can, just hear me out, okay? The first thing I think we're going to need is this, is we need a clarity of vision. We need a clarity of vision in here, right? The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 18, it says, where there's no vision, the people are unrestrained. If I can kind of put that in, in maybe our language today, that, that when a person lacks vision, they wander aimlessly. So here's my point is that it isn't enough for you and I to decide, I'm going to do something, and we don't even know what that something is, right? So, so, so I just think, man, that every one of us in this room, if we're going to do this, right, then we need a God-given purpose that somehow gives us a target to aim for. Right? If, I can, if I can make this really, really, really simple, this morning you went to your car and you, and you cranked it, and, and guess what? You had a destination of where you were going. You know, wherever it's at, I, I know you ended up here, right? And so, so you had basically a destination that charted your course that brought you here today. You know, tomorrow, more than likely, you're going to go to work. You got your course. You go to the grocery store, you got your course, right? There's all these places that we, that we kind of know what we're doing, but how often does it come with the more important things of eternal value? We have no clue where we're going. We're just wandering aimlessly. See, I'm crazy enough to believe that, that as men and women of God, that we should have the ability to wake up every morning and we can say to ourselves, I was born for this. That we know what this is. Right? That we're not waking up every morning going, well, I'm glad I'm breathing. Know that when your feet hit the ground, man, hell or high water, man, you know where you're going. We should have it. Why, why am I saying that? Because the Bible says that God has plans and purposes for our lives. So listen, he's not, he's not giving it to this third of the room and hiding it from the rest of us. The difference between basically this side of the room and that side of the room 
is there's a, there's a key promise. See, what happens is in that verse, we all, we all quote, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Yay! It sells at the Christian bookstore. Right? And they fail to read the rest. It says this. He says, if you seek me with all of your heart, you'll find me. Right? So, so how come we don't know what the, this is? It's because we haven't got on our face long enough to find out what this is. So if you're here today and you're like, man, I, I don't know what this is, go seek his face. And if he doesn't show you, go back the next day. If he doesn't show you, go back the next day. Does you, go back the next day. You know what? Once again, it's, you have to understand that, okay, so once again, I'm kind of making like this side of the room is amazing here and the rest of you aren't. But watch this. The amazing side of the room, what I'm trying to say is, is, you're, is we're talking about people who have spent hours and hours and hours seeking the heart of God so they know who they are supposed to be and what they're supposed to do. You see, at the end of the day, it's like, how can we grow and develop if we don't know who and what we are growing and developing into? How are we supposed to know? So until we, until we get that personal, God-breathed, God-inspired vision, man, we're going to feel like we're a hamster on the wheel. And I recognize some of y'all go, yeah, but that's easy for you to say you're a preacher. No, 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 listen to me. Do I think I have the greatest job on the planet? You bet I do. Is it easy? No, it's not. But I think every person in this room, when you know what God's called you to do, you should wake up every morning to go, I've got the greatest job on the planet. Because why? Because when you're in the will of God and you have his vision for your life, it brings fulfillment and satisfaction and peace and joy. Not, oh God, here we go again. That's truth because his word says it. Amen? Here's the second thing we need. When, when you and I get a vision... It's important that we have the ability to look ahead. And if I can add a word maybe in there at this moment, it's important that we have the ability to keep looking ahead. See, one of the biggest vision killers we'll ever face is the temptation to look in our past. And so when I say past, I am talking about our pain, humiliation, whatever, hurt. I am talking about all that. But I'm not only talking about that. I'm also talking about looking at our accomplishments and our victories and our successes, the things we celebrate, to understand that if we dive too much into that way or dive too much into that way, it can stall us out in the vision that God has for our lives. Listen, I can tell you from personal experience, I know what it's like to basically go delve too much into this side and look at all the past mistakes that I've made as a young preacher and how many people I heard along the way by just fire and zeal and just raw passion of just ripping through a place, right? Like, like I thought that I could just blow in, blow up, blow out, right? And, and kind of leave all the damage. And what's happened is, is, is stepping back, you know, as you grow, you're like, man, I really messed up a lot there. There's been times where I've let myself in the, and basically sitting at home by myself to dive so much into that world not only do I start beating myself up, but I feel like I go in this black hole of shame, right? And it ends up being so demoralizing. What I want to do is go, man, forget this stuff. Let me go buy a hundred acres somewhere and go camp out in the middle and never preach again. Like, like this leadership stuff has way too much responsibility. Let me just go hide, right? So I've had that gloom and doom, dark cave moment, but I've also come over here and went, man, and got so fixated on, on 
how I've seen God move through our ministry and see people's lives radically transformed, like where God drops a bomb into place and everybody knows he just walked in. Like there's been so many of those moments, but there's been times I've got so fixated over there, what it's caused is it's caused me to lose my sense of contentment to be exactly where I'm at in the moment. Am I making sense? And so it doesn't matter if you lean this way or if you lean that way. It's like, it's like driving backwards down the interstate at 70 miles an hour by only looking in your rearview mirror. Like, now is that dangerous, but what I'm trying to tell you is this, is, is it's a disaster waiting to happen because it, because it will wreck your focus and your vision for your life every single time. Who I was eight years ago is not who I'm called to be today. Right? All right. So here's a verse that kind of helps me stay grounded in this. Philippians 3, Paul talking. He says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Somebody say one thing. Focus on this one thing. I forget the past, good, bad, ugly, right? I forget the past, and I look forward to what lies ahead. I look toward, toward the vision that Jesus has put in my heart. All right, here's the third thing we need if we're going to do this. We need a willingness to be different. We need a willingness to be different. And I wish the church would grab a hold of this. Listen to what Ephesians 2.10 says. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. That's you. He's talking about you. You are God's masterpiece who was created new in Christ Jesus so that you could do the good things that he planned for your life long ago. He's talking about the vision, the purpose he's given you. Now, this might sound super silly, but but like, what's the one sure way that we can make sure a masterpiece is no longer a masterpiece? It's by replicating 10,000 more of the exact same thing. The moment that there's 10,000, it loses its originality and it loses its value. Am I making sense? So I, I like what I want to communicate to you today that wherever you're at, man, listen, the reason... The reason you're so valuable in this world, valuable to this church, valuable to this region, valuable to your family, is because God only made one of you, right? And when he made one of you, that means he, he blessed you with your very own unique mix of gifts and talents and abilities and personalities and temperaments. And, and I don't mean that in the way that, well, when God made you, he broke the mold. That's not what I'm talking about. That's wrong thinking. At the end of the day, man, God intentionally designed you and me to be who we are because he gave you and I a very unique purpose and unique vision that only I or you could complete if we engage in it, right? So another way that, that we can kill the God vision inside of us is by, is by allowing ourselves to become someone we're not. See, to me, that's what I do. I look around the church and I see the church, meaning the capital C, the church kind of in the United States, and I see a bunch of people that are just trying to be just like everybody else. Every worship team, they want to dress just like the other worship team. Every preacher wants to dress just like, and I'm like, where's the original breath that God called these people to be? All they are is a bunch of echoes. Yes? So listen, I'm just trying to say that, that for us, it can go two ways. In the church, or it can also go for the world. Like we got to settle in our hearts that God has called us to go against the grain. Right? So like too many Christians have lost their, their sense of identity, their sense of purpose, because rather than rejecting the, the mentality of the prevailing culture, all the garbage that we're hearing around us, they, they try to join in on it. They try to embrace it. What they're trying to do is they're trying to mix the world in with Jesus like somehow darkness and light can be mixed. And they wonder why they don't have a clue where they're going. 
See, Andy Andrews said this kind of unique but powerful statement. He said this. He said, truth is truth. If a thousand people believe something foolish, it is still foolish. Y'all get that. Like, I don't care what's being pumped on TV to you or pumped through social media. Man, if it's foolish and it's demonic, it's demonic. Right? So it says, truth is never dependent upon consensus of opinion. He said, I have found that it is better to be alone and acting upon the truth in my heart than to follow a gaggle of silly geese doomed to mediocrity. Yes. So it's like this, man, when is we as God people, will we go, you know what? I'm going to be about the Father's business, not the world's. Right? So the fourth thing we're going to need is this. Y'all, please hear me. Please, please hear me. Especially if you're struggling with taking action. We need to stop overthinking everything. We need to stop overthinking everything. I realize that a person can do this within themselves, but I want to kind of point to a different direction because hear me, please. Is I think more than likely all of us have met somebody at one time or another who had a hard time making a decision, right? Like they say, God told me to go here and he told me to go there. And then they say, you know, um, I think I'm going to go do this or I think I'm going to go do that. But a year later, you run into them and they're still at the same spot. Normally, they have a new thing that they're saying God said at that moment. Y'all ever met that guy? So, listen, with a lot of people I've met, it really boils down to this. Rather than them taking a step in active faith, they take a step back, not because it's simply this. There's the step of obedience, but over here's the step of let me gather everybody's opinion. Right, And by everybody's opinion, I mean this, that, that they believe God said, but they got to get everybody else's input. And by everybody, I do mean their cousin twice removed. I mean their hairdresser, their mechanic, the complete stranger at Walmart, or that friend on Facebook that they haven't seen in 20 years. Right? Listen, and because what happens, because they've listened to so many voices, not only are they stuck in this constant state of analysis, but they've also opened up the door confusion over their life, and they can't figure out, well, I just don't know what to do. Because what happens is, is I get, I get his opinion, I get his opinion, I get her opinion, I get, oh, okay, that opinion. well, let me go out. Hey, here's what she said that I should do. What's your opinion about her opinion? Y'all seen it? Yeah, it's called procrastination at the highest level. If I can convince myself that I'm busy enough trying to figure out this, I'm, well, I'm, I'm just doing my research, doing my research. No, no, no. At the end of the day, you're wasting all your energy. So when time comes, you got no energy to do what you're supposed to do. Yeah. So listen, do I believe in, do I believe in seeking wise counsel? You bet I do, because it's in the Bible. Do I believe that we're supposed to count the cost? You bet I do, because Jesus said to do it. But, but it's like Andrew Jackson said. He said, take time to be deliberate. Take the time to be deliberate. But when the time for action arrives, stop thinking and go in. Guys, we need to go in, yeah? Because if we don't go in, if we don't take the steps, sooner or later we're going to talk ourselves out of what we said God said. And our voice or somebody else's voice comes greater than his, and we do nothing. The fifth thing we need is this, and this is really like at the core of a decided heart, that's the core, is we got to have an unwillingness to quit. An unwillingness to quit. You see, we're all sitting here today enjoying the freedom that we have because one man decided not to quit. 
Like if you want to talk about Veterans Day, then we got to hit rewind all the way back to this man named George Washington, who was basically like the original veteran, right? And so it, like if you study history, you find out that when, when, when he led basically the early battles against England and the American Revolution, obviously we're trying to get our freedom, you, you discover that under his leadership, the colonial army, man, they kept failing due to poor battle plans and terrible mistakes that were of his doing. And, but here's what set Washington apart from a lot of other people, is that when he messed up, he admitted it. He owned it, Right. And so, and rather than throwing in the towel and saying, I'm done with this, I, I'm, not, I'm not able to do this, he said, you know what, I can learn from this. And so what happened was, because he had a heart to learn and a heart to refuse to quit, he said, you know what, basically I can get better. And over the course of months, he went from being a really bad general to becoming an okay general to a little bit better general to by the end of the war, he was a great general, and because he was a great general, everybody saw his leadership, and they said, we want that guy to be the first president of this United States. It's amazing. And so I just think this, if you can understand that when, when God gives you a vision, like can that vision, let me, let me say it another way, that vision needs to be able to stand up against the, the failure that you're going to have. It needs to stand up against the opposition you're going to face. It needs to be able to stand up against the challenges and the setbacks and even the criticism that will come your way. I'm here to tell you, if you want to do anything for God, people are going to come out and they're going to criticize you. You'll never make everybody happy. And I have found in life, even people who say that they love you, they really don't want to see you succeed because if you succeed, that means you're better than them. Yes? So, listen, on that note, there, there's a verse that, that has kind of kept my heart in line uh, for years and years and years. It's one of my favorite verses out of the book of Jeremiah. It's Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9. It says this. It says, but if I say, if I say to myself, I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name. Like, this is a prophet. His job is to speak, right? If I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Where did he say that from, y'all? He said it from a big hole in the ground. He was in the cistern. They threw him in a hole of the ground. They've been torturing him for preaching. And you know what? He said this, man, I, everything in me wants to stop but man, I, I have been compelled so much by God. I have been uh, apprehended so much by God. I cannot stop. I can't quit, right? All right. Let's land this thing. Let me give you one more. I want to give you this one by, by actually talking about a person that I would say that has exemplified a decided heart more than most people, Okay. And, I, and I, when I say this name, you're going to be like, yeah, I know who that dude is. We all learned about him in elementary school. His name is Hernando Cortez. Okay? You're like, I don't remember that guy. It's okay. Some of us, it's been a while since we were in elementary school. Let that sit. Here's how it goes. All the way back to 1519, uh, Cortez, we know he set sail to the Yucatan Peninsula. And under his leadership, this guy had... Um, he had 11 ships, he had 500 soldiers, 100 sailors, and he had 16 horses. And he had one mission in mind, and that was to go take the greatest treasure that the human race had, right? 
greatest treasure known. So it was a treasure that was full of gold, full of silver, artifacts, and jewels. And, and this was the, the treasure, once again, if you know the story, that had been in the possession of the Aztec Indians for 600 years. And for 600 years, army after army after army after army had tried to come take it by force, but none of them could beat the Aztecs. They all lost, right? And so, so Cortez, knowing all of that, he said, you know what, if all those guys got defeated for whatever reasons, I'm going to do something a little different. Here's what he did. Please don't miss this. Rather than, than signing up every uh, warm body that came and said, I want to be a part of the voyage, he decided to actually interview every person. And when he sat down the interview, he would begin to tell them, he would say, can you imagine what your life is going to look like when, when you have your part of this treasure? Can you imagine how it's going to change your wife's life, your kids' lives, your parents' lives when you have this treasure. Come on, can you dream with me for a moment? Can you imagine the moment when, when we reach out and we touch that gold or we touch that jewel and it's ours? What was he doing? He, he was selling them on the vision. And once he had enough men to his liking that he thought that were bought into the vision, he set sail. And as we go across the ocean, as you can expect, they got about halfway there, and people started murmuring and complaining. This isn't what I signed up for. This isn't what I expected. And, and they began to say, I, I want to get off this ship. Well, the problem is you're in the middle of the ocean, Jack. Can't drop you off here, okay? And, and so, anyways, what happened is, is with all that murmuring and all that complaining, I, I love the dude's leadership here, that they got to the peninsula, and what he did was he told everybody, gather on the beach. So there's hundreds of men on the beach, and they're waiting for this, you know, uh, William Wallace, you know, inspirational speech, like, well, let's go get them. We're going to, you go there, you go there, you go over there, and, and we're going to do X, Y, Z, and if it doesn't work, let's all meet back here, right? And this is our exit strategy. He didn't give me any of that. We all know what he said. He said three words. He said this. He said, burn the boats. And they all leaned in and said, excuse me? And he said a little louder, burn the boats. And then he added, if we go home, then we're going home on their boats. How do you think men respond when they realize that there is no plan B? When their exit strategy is on fire and it's no longer available. You know what happened in the hearts of all those men? They recognize either we go get that treasure or we die. And something rose up inside of them and they did something that nobody had been able to do for 600 years and they conquered the Aztec Indians. Here's the key that I want to grab. Because it's, it's not just having a, an unwillingness to quit. The other core thing is this, is you and I have to decide that we're willing to go all in. And I can't stress to you enough that Jesus is a way better treasure than what those Aztec Indians had. If there's a treasure that's worth going all in on, it's him. And so I recognize today that there may be people that you've, you know, have been playing hokey pokey with Jesus. You've been putting your foot in there and shaking it all about. Yeah, I'll try it out. I realize that. I'm glad you're here. Right? And I realize that there's people in the room that you've went that from a sense of relief in your own life, 
you, you've given him about 25%. And you've learned the language a little bit. You know how to kind of talk, talk a little bit. But that's really as far as it goes. Right? And so going around the room, including myself, there's, there's a varying degrees of how much of us that we have really surrendered to him. Right? It begins at salvation, but it doesn't end at salvation. Right? And if we're going to do what God's called us to do, if we're going to be who he wants us to be and do what he's called us to do, then it's required that he gets more of us. That we've got to be willing to go all in. Yeah? And I promise you there's not a person in this room today that there's somewhere in here there's a boat that needs to be burned so you quit running to it as an exit strategy because that's the thing that's keeping you from going all in. Yep. I can't make that decision for you. That's where we, we're, we're grown enough to do business with God. Amen. Can you stand to your feet, please? Lish is going to come and close some prayer, but I, wanna, I want to do what I've done the past few weeks. I want us to close our eyes, and I want us to just kind of settle in our hearts with Jesus. Because he's here. And if I can, it's almost like that moment when Cortez was sitting down with those people and interviewing them. I want to I wanna just ask you to consider that if it's true that more people fail because of an undecided heart than anything else, then let's imagine for a moment what our lives could look like if we would be willing to do things we talked about today. Like, can, can we imagine for a moment, just you and Jesus, how different your life would be if you got a God vision, God-inspired vision for your life? Listen, there's a reason you exist, and it's that vision. So you got to find out your why, why you're breathing air. Secondly, can you imagine how different your life would be if you kept your focus forward rather than always looking backward? Once again, we love the great moments in life, but guess what? They're in the past. All the stuff that hurt it and did us damage, well, I got to move on beyond that too because I got to get well. So can you imagine what would happen if your focus was in, in the moment? If you seized the day, you were looking forward rather than backwards. Can you imagine how different your life would be if you were willing to go against the crowd? you're willing to go against the grain, if you're willing to become the original breath that God designed you to be, can you imagine how different your life would be if you had stopped overthinking everything? If you had stopped talking yourself out of everything Jesus tells you to do? Can you imagine how different your life would be if you had refused to give up? You could just stick to it. Keep pressing in. It's getting difficult. That's okay. Did you keep pressing in? And can you imagine what your life would look like lastly, if what like what we just talked about, if you were willing to just go all in with Jesus? You truly lived a life of surrender. Can you imagine what it looked like? Jesus, we want to respond to you. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. Come right now, Lord, and move through the hearts, the rooms of our hearts, Lord God, touching each one of us and speaking to us clearly where it is that we need to go all in. 
Lord Jesus, speaking to us clearly about the boats. What boats do we need to burn, Lord Jesus? We yield to your Holy Spirit right now and we say, have your way. We look to you, Lord Jesus, as our only leadership, Father. And we surrender fully to you, every room in our heart, Lord. We yield to you, Father. And we give you permission this week to bring this back to our remembrance, Lord God, that when we're unsure that we will have this day and this time when we've had decided hearts. So speak to us now. You have full permission. Engage with us. Holy Spirit, continue to help us grow. Continue to help us to be willing to walk this out. And thank you for providing for us everything that we need to have the decided heart and to have action that follows it, Lord. And so Holy Spirit, burn inside of us and move inside of us and move us to action, Lord Jesus. We yield to you and we thank you for all that we've heard today and may it stay with us. And may this be a changing point for each one of us who has a boat to burn, Lord Jesus. Thank you for speaking to us. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.